I think it's I think it's interesting. You know, I think maybe like the root cause and, and maybe some of it's not necessarily effective communicators. Maybe some of it's, you know, the, the particular audience that we're used to communicating with um, and some of the, the potential there. I think school, a lot of what, you know, uh, engineer schooling uh, prepares us for, you know, is really the thought process of how to solve problems. Um, and then you, you get into the workforce and you realize that you can have a phenomenal solution, but especially if and this is kind of speech you were talking about, Adam, especially if it's innovative and a little bit outside the box and something that's fairly safety and regulatorily driven. If you can't communicate that, it doesn't really matter how innovative that idea is. Um, and I kind of feel like I hit that wall when I was like about two years into my career. Um, and it was, uh, I, I don't know, it was, it was kind of a, a little bit of a, a stumbling block you know, and and took a while to realize, like, wait a second, it's not it's not the other people, it's not the people I'm communicating with. It's that I don't know how to communicate. And so kind of like stumbling through that and learned a number of lessons through various different kind of venues there. Welcome to What Are We Talking About, a podcast produced by Water Online. Hosts Jim Laurier of Maisie Injector Company and Adam Tank of Transcend Water, a dynamic boomer millennial combo, will help you demystify how to build a better brand for your business, keep current and prospective customers engaged with your company, and ultimately grow your sales. They interview some of the most interesting and unique water professionals who have used the art of storytelling to move the needle for themselves and for their organizations. All right, welcome to the next episode of What Are We Talking About? 2022, new year, new faces. Excited to have Jen Murphy on the podcast today. Jen, you are a big supporter of innovation in the water sector, which as I have come to find is not necessarily common amongst engineers. So I very much appreciate your open-mindedness uh, in the industry. I originally got to know you through LinkedIn. I sent a cold message, you so kindly responded and then Right. We've now been talking for probably eight months, close to a year. So in any case, something like excited, that. Yeah. Excited to have you on the show. Thank yeah. you, Adam. Really, really excited to be here. Yeah, Jen. And I got to know you again through LinkedIn and through Adam. And uh, we're very excited to have you, as uh, Adam said. And one of the things that uh, I want to start out with is you have an interesting take on why engineers in our water industry are not as good as, as, as they could be in writing and storytelling. So maybe we can start there, some of your perspectives on that. Of course, present company accepted, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, we're all expert communicators. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it's interesting. You know, I think maybe like the root cause and, and maybe some of it's not necessarily effective communicators. Maybe some of it's, you know, the, the particular audience that we're used to communicating with um, and some of the, the potential there. I think school, a lot of what, you know, uh, engineer schooling uh, prepares us for, you know, is really the thought process of how to solve problems. Um, and then you you get into the workforce and you realize that you can have a phenomenal solution, but especially if and this is kind of speech you were talking about, Adam, especially if it's innovative and a little bit outside the box and something that's fairly safety and regulatorily driven. If you can't communicate that, it doesn't really matter how innovative that idea is. 
Um, and I kind of feel like I hit that wall when I was like about two years into my career. Um, and it was, uh, I, I don't know, it was, it was kind of a, a little bit of a, a stumbling block, you know, and, and took a while to realize like, wait a second, it's not, it's not the other people, it's not the people I'm communicating with. It's that I don't know how to communicate. And so kind of like stumbling through that and learned a number of lessons through various different kind of venues there. That's, that's incredibly self-aware to hear you say that. And I recall you telling me once that you had a mentor. I'm not sure if it was maybe a boss or who it was, but basically a more senior engineer who told you that when you're presenting at a conference, there's basically one of two outcomes that the audience can take away. So if you would tell us a bit about that lesson. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it was it was actually my first boss. And, you know, it's funny, we were kind of similar. So in some ways, we, you know, we could communicate very well. And then in other ways, um, you know, we were different. And that's where, you know, kind of came to the head. And I was like, okay, communication really matters, even if I was like a little bit hard headed at first. But in regards to the presentation, you know, I, it was the first time I was submitting, I think it was an abstract to WefTech, um, you know, and I kind of was, um, you know, very, very much like a typical engineer in some regards, like into the details and kind of like drawing all of these parallels and connections. And not that anything was necessarily incorrect, but he kind of um, communicated the point of, you know, you can you can kind of go into a presentation, um, you know, especially conferences or, or really any communication. And often there's two main outcomes. It's the person can walk away thinking, wow, they're really smart. I, I don't know what they were talking about, but they're really smart. Um, or, you know, someone can walk away actually learning something. And really the, <clears throat> the, what I began to see and what he explained to me was that if someone actually learns something, you're giving something to that person there, you are providing value to them. And in reality, you know, it's also kind of, uh, it, it's showing that you're smart enough to be able to explain it. Um, so I think that's really, you know, sometimes we, we struggle, we, we want to share all of this detail without kind of providing that base level understanding and bringing people along, you know, for that story. Um, so I think it's just kind of slowing down and making sure that as you're communicating information, is this actually something that someone with, you know, the, the appropriate level of knowledge can actually kind of, you know, leave the, the presentation or the interaction or whatever with more knowledge than they started with, because that's going to stick with them. Yeah. I think the other thing you, you made uh, mention of, Jan, was that a lot of times when it comes to communicating about water in the, uh, gen to the general public, a lot of times it's bad news, right? It's a, a water main break. It's a sewer overflow. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was kind of, uh, and I feel like it was in a couple of conversations with uh, Adam, actually, um, over the past couple of years and, or a couple of months, and then also, you know, kind of with the kind of the prevalence um, more on LinkedIn and just within conferences of this emphasis on communications. But for pretty much the entire history of water and wastewater, like if we are doing our jobs correctly, nobody hears about us. 
like exactly what you said, water main breaks, sewer overflow, et cetera. We want to avoid that at all costs. But because of that, it it did create this lack of public awareness of what goes into that infrastructure, you know, what that, what that infrastructure even looks like. I mean, when I initially graduated, I thought I was going to go into automotive design or something. And quite honestly, and this is kind of embarrassing, like I wasn't entirely aware of wastewater treatment plants. Like I, you know, I, I passed a couple, I was like, okay, like that's full of, uh, that's full of sewage there. Um, but hadn't really made the connection there. So I think, you know, it's really, how do we continue to meet all of those level of service, but how do we make people aware of the amount of investment that goes into ensuring that when they turn on the tap, when they flush the toilet, that it works. And also, you know, how those, you know, items are changing and what impacts that has on kind of the broader community and the environment. There's this, there's this idea of the, you know, the engineering firm, a parametrics that's speaking about the value of what they do to the public. And then there's also the interaction between parametrics and your client, which is the utility or the people that are paying you for this work. And you, the way that you communicate what your firm does to those utilities has always impressed me. So talk to us a bit about that idea of how you communicate the value of your work to a utility. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think the value of our work to a utility, and especially I'm thinking of some, some of the conversations we've had around kind of the you know, automation of certain design processes, you know, very similar to kind of how we went from, you know, drafting with the big tables, um, you know, back in the, was it up until like the mid to late 80s, really, um, even into the early 90s, um, into now, you know, no one does that, you know, we, we basically were all familiar with AutoCAD. And then many times it's quicker to just do something digitally the first time as opposed to try to do like a hand sketch. Um, but I do think it's when it comes down to it, it's understanding and kind of empathizing with the client in order to understand what their, um, I guess, I, I would say like risk or fear or, but it, it can also be positive. It can also be like what their aspirations, what their goals are, what are they actually trying to do? So at the end of the day, a client, you know, in, in this particular case, a lot of our clients are municipal, uh, some are industrial, et cetera, but they want to provide a particular product. They want to be able to continue their mission of providing water service to their customers or providing, you know, um, chemical, chemical storage and dosing within a particular facility or whatever. Um, and it's, it's being able to connect with that and understand how that process works and streamline them to a solution that really is catered towards how they're interacting with the system and the products. Um, and to make sure that they're really, you know, I think we throw around this idea of like optimization a lot. Um, and in reality, we don't really actually do a lot of optimization because optimization means understanding how the variables impact the total outcome um, and then how you can maximize particular outcomes. And in reality, we usually kind of pick three random uh, kind of processes, et cetera, um, and kind of, you know, evaluate them. And it, 
you know, it's it's based on engineering judgment. It's based on what's been successful and lessons learned from past facilities. So it's not to say that it's not um, informed and it's not, you know, well-rooted, but it's, you know, being able to empathize with what the client needs to do, understand how they need to do it. And then this is kind of a little bit of that special sauce that really comes from a little bit of experience, a little bit of just kind of projecting out and what if, like maybe that creativity, but just, you know, envisioning, okay, what are what are some potential problems um, or opportunities they may hit down the road, having understood where they are now, you know, how they have to interact with these things. Um, and really it's that, I think the competitive advantage comes with the, how do we really foresee where these potential pinch points would be and add a little bit of oil to it prior to, um, prior, prior to getting there. You know, that's when they're like, oh, wow, I didn't even think about that. Like, thank you for looking out for me. You know, it's that it's that trust that you're building, that you're looking out for their best interests. Right. And and obviously part of that, Jen, is the idea that it's there's a lot of uh, influences involved. Right. So it's not just communicating the value to the end user, whether it's a municipal utility or an industrial client, but it's also who else is involved. You're specifying the products and services. There's the equipment vendors and, and providers of services. There's the rep firms involved that are representing them. There's the contractors, right, that are going to buy and install the equipment. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, how you try and manage those touch points? That's a, a very, uh, I guess, apt and kind of critical point. Even, even within each one of those organizations, you may have various different stakeholders, um, you know, from a vendor perspective, you might have someone that provides the UV system and someone that provides the filter system might be same parent company, but different groups and they kind of have to coordinate. And I think a lot of times, you know, the success of the project really comes down to, you know, making sure that you're listening to everyone and then kind of repeating it back to make sure that everyone's hearing the same thing um, and really kind of helping. Uh, I don't want to say like mediate because mediate almost sounds like it's something contentious, but it's really just kind of almost like exercising empathy and then trying to extend that and bridge the gap so that, you know, you can kind of get on the same page. Because at the end of the day, the reason why engineering is challenging, the reason why I think as you move along in the career, you in our careers, we realize there isn't a one size fits all is because every single you know, potential uh, solution, et cetera, is a balancing of, you know, the, the pros and the cons. And oftentimes it's those pros and the cons. It, it's not straight technical items. It's, okay, how does operations staff interact with this? How much clearance do they want around this wall? You know, I've had uh, certain, like one instance before it was, okay, well, I'm going to provide, make sure I provide like a two foot wide gap so that you know, operations can get around this entire uh, facility and, you know, they can have access. And then someone else was like, well, we don't, we don't want that because that's like a security risk. Um, and, you know, then uh, like things can get stuck back there or, or things are more easily able to get back there. And I was like, well, if they get back there, then you can remove it. And they're like, no, I mean, if it, if it fills up with leaves, if, if it fills up with debris, like that's not as critical as if, 
you know, we get someone in there messing around with it because there's space there or something to that extent. You're listening to the What Are We Talking About podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. This podcast is produced by Water Online, the leading web-based community for water and wastewater professionals. Showcasing the knowledge and authority of industry thought leaders, Water Online provides actionable content from vendors you can trust. And now, back to today's podcast. And I, like you, you've used this word empathy multiple times, which I love because it's not a word commonly used, especially when it when it comes to building water infrastructure. Like I can't, I don't even know the last time I heard the word empathy as men, you know, mentioned in this type of project lifecycle. On the topic of empathy, I know that you're heavily involved with a nonprofit, and so if you would talk a bit about that, how you how that nonprofit communicates value, how you communicate the value of that nonprofit to the world, et cetera. Uh, thank you, Adam. No, this is it's uh, Caminos de Agua. Uh, they're located down in uh, central Mexico, um, and they kind of like a, a fun fact, uh, if you will. I've been told that not all of my facts are. Not all of my fun facts are indeed fun, but um, the the Willamette um, River Valley, uh, Willamette for people on the East Coast, but it's Willamette, damn it. Um, but, <laughs> um, but is actually um, a sister to the, the watersheds down there. Um, and it's primarily groundwater, something like 98% of their water comes from for underground aquifers. And just because of the demands that have been put on the system, they have high concentrations of uh, fluoride and arsenic. And so that's something where, you know, that causes long-term permanent, um, you know, neurological and, and physical impairments. And so, you know, there's a number of things to do about that, and a number of things that the nonprofit is doing around water, you know, and, and really innovating within that. Um, space, you know, from providing low cost uh, filters that fit in a five gallon container, um, ceramic filters, they're the equivalent of like four or five dollars, and it can provide water for several months just based on gravity, and it can remove biological pathogens, you know, and it's like a low cost, easy solution um, that's kind of forward thinking. And then, you know, they also partner with universities, et cetera. But uh, to do certain like research science on, okay, how do we detect these for the lowest costs? I got involved actually through a a friend and a ex uh, or, or past uh, coworker who's now the the engineering director down there. And one thing that really struck me is just kind of the the multiple prong approach, the idea that they're really looking to partner with folks locally. They're looking to dramatically increase understanding of the water system because there's a lot of, you know, people don't really know necessarily the contaminants in the water, you know, and when it comes down to having a family and, you know, your child is thirsty, you, you want to give them water and not necessarily. So some of it's an educational campaign there. Um, and the fact that there are things in water that even if you boil it can still impact you. Um, some of it's solution driven. And, and one of the things that I'm involved with is uh, sponsoring this. Uh, it was originally water quality, but it's since kind of been expanded to water monitoring 
um, manager. And it's really cool in the sense that they, they already have, uh, basically, they pulled together a whole bunch of data sources and put all of their testing information online. So they have this huge GIS repository that's not only um, showing information in their service area or their the area where they do most of their work, but kind of external to that. Um, but they also, um, as part of this water monitoring manager, uh, the idea is, you know, there are businesses that have resources uh, within this community. It's uh, located within and around the town of San Miguel de Allende. Um, and uh, it, in about two years time, the goal is for the position to be fully self-sufficient. And that like seemed like a no-brainer to me. Um, and just because they can provide the services to commercial clients that have the resources that need these services anyway. And especially since they've been partnering with universities to create certain lower cost methods of uh, detecting certain contaminants, you know, they have a competitive advantage there, even though they're a nonprofit. And then they can go around and take the, you know, the the additional time that someone has, um, you know, which would normally be translated into more work and profit and go and provide these services to the local communities surrounding this area and really, you know, allow them to take more control over their water and have a better understanding. So, I don't know. Very, very excited about that. Uh, it was really cool. I had an opportunity over this past summer when the pandemic was kind of picking up a little bit uh, or opening up a little bit, I guess, um, to get down there and kind of uh, meet some of the folks down there. You know, that that's given back to the water community in, in, in the best possible way. And one of the words you used early on in the interview was trust. And uh, we were talking about, you know, Adam and I, as you can see behind Adam, uh, you know, he's got a big bookshelf. I'm a big reader. And uh, we talked about uh, the, the book, The Speed of Trust. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and, uh, you know, your ideas around uh, how that pertains to the water community? Thanks, Jim. Um, so I've, at the suggestion of my current boss, I've uh, started that book twice and gotten two thirds of the way through. Um, I, I will finish it eventually, but the, the main takeaway there and the thing that really resonated with me is that one, when you trust someone, things move more quickly. You can ask the questions that you feel are pertinent and trust that that person is taking care of the unsaid statements there, um, such as, are you actually bringing me the best product? You know, are you accurately representing what you can do and what your competitors can do, et cetera? Um, and uh, in terms of, so that's the impact of trust. And in terms of how you build trust, I thought this was really interesting in terms of like breaking it down to actually say, hey, trust is something you can build. Um, you know, it you slowly build it up. It can be broken down in an instant and it takes a while to repair, but it's basically two components. It's proficiency. And then it's, um, you know, kind of follow through uh, uh, ethics, et cetera. So you have to show that, you know, not only are you true to your word, but you also have to show that you are, um, you have that, that technical competency. So integrity and technical competency together 
provide, you know, um, and build trust to allow you to move quicker, allow you to talk to clients more about, you know, the particular projects that are coming down the pipeline that allow them to, when you go and say you, in this case, you know, consulting engineering, but also for products, when you suggest a product or when you put together a team that you've really looked at what they need and you put together the best team that you can um, and really the team that is best suited um, for their needs. I think that's makes a really compelling um, both proposal, interview, et cetera, when you can say, look, I honestly believe we are the best out there. We're not trying to argue that we have, we deserve a seat at the table. We're trying to say, look, you're going to be missing out on these amazing individuals, services, product, et cetera, um, you know, if, if we don't have an opportunity to work together. All right, Jen, this has been super informative. I'm so interested to get feedback from the engineers that listen to this one because these are topics not often discussed in the engineering world, so I'm very excited about it. Our final question, as we typically ask, and maybe if you've listened to a few episodes, you probably know what's coming. That is the airplane banner question. So Jim and I have hired a plane that has a banner on the back of it, and you get basically a sentence worth of words to put any message in front of every water professional in the world. What do you want that banner to say? I've thought about this and I hemmed and I hauled and I'm pretty sure I had a good idea the other day. Um, and then I forgot it. Um, but <laughs> I, I think what I'm going to go with here, and this is the gist of what I was thinking about is, you know, talk more and care more. So, you know, one, we already really do. I, I think a large majority of the people that are within the water industry, and I think the thing that makes us so powerful as an industry is we want to make the world a better place. And I think that is a very unifying and powerful force that can really energize a lot of people. And I think that the more we communicate that, like moving from the East Coast to the West Coast, within three weeks of not interacting with like moving to a completely different area where my old company did not have any roots. I was talking to some of the same people just because the industry is so small. There's only so many service um, and equipment providers, et cetera. Um, so I think it just shows like we are still pretty small. So the more we talk about it, the more we share the fact that we care, I think it, it really helps the bring the public along and understand, you know, Hey, we're, we're being good stewards of your, your investment dollars and we're looking out for your long-term health. And, you know, it's uh there's a statement that's actually on the, the sponsor page on the nonprofit, but it's the gist of it is, look, if you're just gonna like provide me some help and move along, like that's great. But if you want to get down here in the trenches and my fight becomes your fight, you know, let's move forward together. And that just really energizes us. So I think the more we care, the more we talk about it and bring others along, it just creates this really powerful movement within the water industry. And I think it's such an exciting time to be in water. 
<laughs> great stuff, Jen. Uh, it's really been great. And I know our audience uh, will uh, really get a lot out of this interview. So thanks again. Oh. 